Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 75th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that knows that expeditions aren't necessarily the mother of invention. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic singles and sealed product, with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face-to-Face card pricing via MTGPrice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host tonight, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everybody. Glad to be here for episode 75. All sorts of interesting things to cover this week. Uh, our show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Chavs, it sounds like you're feeling a little under the weather. You okay over there? Yes. Well, you know, this is cold season, you know, early July. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Actually, I think my fiance picked it up as we left Vegas. I managed to avoid it, but then she gave it to me. So it's catching up to me two weeks later. Guys are rubbing up up against Um, too many showgirls (laughs) in Vegas. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, if only. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what's on the agenda this week? Uh, okay, this week we have a show in four segments. Segment one is our top movers. We're going to look at the cards that have moved the most in price over the past week. Segment two is your cards to watch. James and I will discuss the cards that we think will rise in price. Segment three is our metagame we can review. This weekend was the Star City Invitational in Roanoke. They did both modern and standard. And segment four, the topic of the week, we're going to... Excuse me, chat about masterpieces a little bit. Seems to be um, a lot going on in that space of the market right now. So James and I figured we'd chat a little bit, share our perspectives if they haven't already become abundantly clear over the last few weeks. So you know, let's start. Months. Yeah, yeah, right. Let's start uh, segment one, our top movers. Um, I'm just going to do the first two together here. It's both Aether Vial and Steel Overseer, both showing price jumps of uh, about 100%. Uh, Steel Overseer from like 55 to 100 and Aether Vial from 100 to 200. Both of these, <laughs> again, the masterpieces, um, they're just gone. We'll, we'll get more into where what's going on with masterpieces uh, later on in the show. But So there you go. Those are the two latest spikes. Yep, fair enough. I mean, our, our theme this week is basically Steampunk Kitty Cat, so let's dive right in. Yeah. Storage Matrix, a card that was in Urza's Destiny and then must be in some modern set since it showed up in a modern deck. The foils moved from $4 to $8, presumably because somebody noticed this sweet white-red modern control brew that's running a copy. Um, this is uh, a deck that has some of the same elements you've seen in other white-red control decks in modern lately. Um, Simeon Spirit Guides into Blood Moons, Chalice of the Voids to shut down all the one-casting-cost spells out of decks like Death Shadow. Um, and then they lean in the late game on Gideon Jura, Cough of the Hammer, Chandra Pyromaster, and Ajani Vengeant, and, you know, Planeswalker suite of repeatable damage and or threat production. Um, this one's also running four in Snaring Bridge main and a copy of Storage Matrix. And if you haven't... Uh, if you, you I mean, you probably just don't know what this does, so let me tell you. It's an artifact for three 
um, as long as it's an untapped. Instead of each player untapping the permanence he or she controls during their untapped step, that player chooses artifacts, creatures, or lands. So basically, you have to choose one of those three permanent types to untap. So it's kind of like uh, a winter orb. And if you're running Planeswalkers, you don't care because they don't tap or untap, so it's irrelevant. Um, but meanwhile, your opponent is trying to figure out um, how to whether or not they need to untap the only non-basic lands they have that aren't affected by Blood Moon or the creatures they're trying to kill you with. Um, this thing also runs four Leyline of Sanctity main and a spicy Outpost Siege, the, the uh, Tar- Konza Tarkir. I oh, know it must be a Fate Reforged card. Um, and assemble the Legion out of Gatecrash. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm pretty sure this card is just supposed to be a fixed static orb or winter orb type of thing. That's what they're shooting for. Um, curious card. Uh, assemble the Legion too is uh, is kind of nifty. I don't there's I don't know there's any money there, but it is kind of funny when that card was revealed people thought it was garbage and i remember the foil spiked at some point in standard because people were like wait a minute i get how many tokens with this card and uh control deck started running it as their finisher yeah and it can be running it's a decent edh card as well because it just builds up like overwhelming presence if if it lasts on board for four or five turns the uh and token decks that are already buffing their tokens uh you know can certainly make use of it but Given that there's only one copy of Storage Matrix in this deck, and this deck is, you know, was an eighth place finisher in a modern I- SCG modern IQ, <laughs> I think it's safe to say that this is mostly uh, a, a deep, deep speculative pick um, that most people should steer clear of. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't like this at all. Uh, far too minimal application, and uh, you know, Dust Shadow only has to untap one creature to kill you, so. But certainly you're running out to assemble your Cat Tribal deck, right? Yeah, yes, I am certainly running out to assemble a Cat Tribal deck that has uh, seven cards, and there are 40 copies of each of them. Um, next on our list is Raksha Golden Club from... I well, think that's Dark. Cub, mm-hmm. yeah, Cub. Cub, Club. Cub. No, Club makes sense, because you equip it, so she carries a club. <laughs> um, I think it's from Darksteel, right? Is it Darksteel? It's one of those Meriden sets. Uh, we're looking at the foils. Started the week at around eight dollars. Prices are showing right now around eighteen. Um, I'm sorry, it was fifth on. For a little more than a double up, uh, this is in response to the. Uh, I don't know if it was a leak or an intentional spoil of the one of the commanders, the tribal commanders for this year. We already saw some of the dragons sneak out. Now we've seen that the green white one of the green white decks is cats. Um, with a cat commander and it buffs cats. So uh, suddenly all of these cat cards have renewed interest. Raksha is an interesting card. Um, the seven mana three four with vigilance. Uh, so a little no, pricey, but no, hmm? no vigilance. Attacking does not cause Raksha Golden Cub to, to tap. This is pretty vigilance. <laughs> it, should, it, it should have a rata that probably says vigilance, I would imagine. It does. It does. If you look at the Oracle text, it says Perfect. vigilance. All right, what um, else does it do? If, you, if she is equipped, I actually, actually I think it's a he. I'm not actually positive. If it's a he, then uh, he gets all cats you control and get 2-2 two, two and double strike. So the amount of power, extra power that you get across your battlefield if you put an equipment on Raksha is pretty immense. Um, there's only one printing of this card. Uh, it's from fifth on, even if we do see the show up again in the cat deck, which I think is plausible, the foils aren't going anywhere. There's not going to be more foils. Um, so that's why we saw this sell out. Uh, I think $20 is probably a pretty comfortable place for foils of this land. Um, I picked up like two or three. That was about it. Um, 
Yeah. So if you missed the boat, that's a shame. But if you can still find them under 10, I think it's a good pickup. Yeah, the deal here is people seemed pretty underwhelmed by the power of the commander, but I think they, on the one hand, are probably underestimating uh, the power level of an Aloro-type commander that sits uh, in the command zone and has an impact on the battleground. Um, I mean, this gives you a threatening attacker pretty much every turn, and a lot of the other cat cards have you know aggressive themes, and there's a lot of um, synergy amongst those cards, and you have to presume that you're going to get some new card, new cats um, that are going to make that deck uh, better. Especially, there's going to be at least two other legendary commander t- style uh, or commander options <clears throat> because these decks always come with three. So we've only seen one of the three so far, and the other two could easily be as exciting or more exciting. Um, the other thing is that I suspect that um, people that are into cat tribal. Um, you know, pet owners and the like may also be into bringing out their cat decks because they're not likely to be bringing the highest degree of rational thinking to um, their cuddly, furry, super cutie deck that is named after their family member. Yeah, I definitely think that a lot, you know, even though the commander isn't that powerful, although I don't think it's, I do think it's pretty reasonable with a couple other cards. Um, it's more about the, oh my god, cats, blah, 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 it's so cute. Like, I don't care at all, but there's definitely an, an appeal for that. I mean, if you look at Star City, who's committed, what, like, the last two or three years of their marketing material to all this cutesy animal crap, and people love cats, nerd, nerds love cats, I don't know, just, I think that's a tribe that historically has been very under, not, not supported, um, but they're turning that dial up a little bit, and uh, we could see that rise in popularity very quickly. Um, which is why I was looking for cat-specific tribal cards. Um, and you're completely right. There's two more commanders in there, even if that was not amazing. Also, remember, there is a cat dragon that was spoiled for this as well. That's in the dragon commander. It's not white. It's John. But there is a cat out there. So green cat cards will have uh, an additional element to them, I guess. Yeah, and that brings us to the next cat card on the list, the Nactyl War Pride at a future site. Uh, foils moving from 225 to 5. That's not super exciting. Wake me up when that hits 10, and then people start to make money. Um, but this was the one uh, that I think it's 3 and 3 green. And when it attacks, you basically make copies of it equal to the number of potential blockers, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. That is correct. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're giving a bunch of cats buffs and double strikes and some of them are flying or whatever, and 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 this thing swings in, it could be a big big battle <laughs> like. yeah this card is actually pretty disgusting like it's it, it's difficult to parse i think um but I, I remember this from way back in the day and like it took us our play group like more than one game to figure it out once we did we're like oh this thing's actually pretty ridiculous um it puts a ton of bodies onto the battlefield very easily um because you make a copy for every one of their blockers so if they have like 15 tokens you're putting 15 copies of Nakawa War Pride into play, which is no, you know, if you have come in the play triggers, you get a ton right there. If, um, if you have greater good type effects or something where you could sacrifice them, now you have a ton of bodies afterwards. And it also says it must be blocked. So if you have Nakawa War Pride and five other creatures and you swing with all of them, they now have to block every single one of the tokens because those must be blocked and your five other creatures get through for free. And this is one of those cards that I was referring to when I said it works really well with the commander, because this is just a 3-3. But then you buff it with that commander, and suddenly it's a 6-6. Six, six, uh, well, it does something else in front of me. But now you, you swing, and they have 10 blockers. You put, like, 60 power on the board, like, for one body. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty powerful. Honestly, this is going to be my pick of the week if it didn't end up on this part of the 
podcast. I mean, heaven forbid you figure out how to have a token sub-theme in your cat deck and you have anointed procession in play when that thing triggers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty wild. <laughs> All right, so moving on. Uh, Orchard Warden out of Morning Tide. This is a 6 uh, 6 for 6 uh, tree folk, if I'm not mistaken, that you where you gain life equal to the toughness of whatever tree folk you put into play. Foils, in theory, went from $1.50 to three fifty. I think that's just... Uh, supply from a pretty old card that came from a set that didn't have wide distribution uh, just getting down into the there are hardly any copies left zone tree folk tribal is mostly just a thing in casual circles um, so I don't expect this spec to make any uh, this uh, card to make anybody any money on a speculative basis um, and I suspect that this is more or less the last we'll hear of it uh, agreed uh, it is a shame too I remember really liking the tree folk tribe back in the Warwind days when I was a filthy casual that played at a kitchen table. Uh, that would be, if they're going to do, if they would do tribal again, commander, I would like to see tree folk show up. That would be cool. I always like them. I like Doran. Uh, um, okay. Next on our list is carapace forger from scars and Mirrodin. We are looking at the foils. Another foily week uh, started at like 50 cents. It's up to around $2. Uh, that's a pretty big jump. As best as we can tell, or should I say as James can tell, it's Popper. I really have no idea, but that seems plausible enough. Yeah, it's played in Popper Affinity. Okay, I'll take it. Um, the the real interesting uh, segue here is that somebody is speculating on Popper cards, um, presumably looking at lists from Magic Online and then trying to translate that into paper. I'm not convinced that there is sustainable demand for popper foils in real the real world. So I guess the question will be, at some point, we may want to make our final segment going back and looking at some of these popper specs a few months down the road and seeing if they were able to hold hold their new price plateaus. Yeah, it would be worth looking at. Maybe they're expecting, they're kind of banking on Wizards supporting the format more. You know, like they're hoping that Wizards introduces more sustained support of it. Here's why I really don't see that happening outside of Magic Online. Pop, Popper, by nature, makes vendors less money because you don't need to spend as much money to play it, and that's not where this hobby is headed. Yeah, I mean, I didn't say it was a good idea. <laughs> just, I, I'm, and that's true. I don't but, think it'll be a wizard's idea, is I guess my point. The, the, yeah. They're fine with Popper existing because that, you know, excluding people on the basis of price completely from the game is ridiculous, um, and they know it's terrible for the brand. So, you know, printing the common rarity and allowing it to be a thing, uh, as long as it's a tiny little niche, they're fine with it. But they're certainly not going to start making it the focus of F&M instead of standard. No, 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 no. Uh, all right, what do you got next for us? The next one's pretty much the same deal. Our Kaomancer foils from M15, moving from $2 to $8, also a popper spec. Um, it's kind of like the poor man Snapcaster Mage in that format. Yeah, that's a cool card. It's, um, I would say it's, pro- it's probably better than our well i would say better but it's quite reasonable also you can flicker it pretty well so you can keep getting the cards back um it's good i run a couple copies in edh various edh checks um next up is white sun zenith uh foil copies again from mirrodin besiege white sun zenith uh is that one yeah mirrodin besiege and uh it's part of that zenith cycle that after you cast a card you return it to your hand uh, White Sun Zenith makes cat tokens. Makes two two cat tokens. Don't return it so, to your hand. We shuffle it into the deck. Yeah. I'm sorry. Shuffle it into your library. That's right. Uh, but it makes cat tokens. That's the important part here. Yeah. Foils run from three to seventeen. Apparently, uh, clearly a buyout based on the cat commander deck. Uh, I suspect this will be reasonably popular in the cat decks. Um, 
you know, 20 bucks for foils of this might be a little uh, aggressive, but at $3, I think that's a pretty safe purchase. It's almost 10 years old, <clears throat> and I bought a bunch because it seems like an auto-include in those decks. I suspect it's in the deck, but not as a foil. Um, right. And it's one of the flashier cards in the deck in terms of its impact, so, you know, maybe the foils hold at this level. We'll see just how exciting the rest of that cat deck is and how interested people seem to decide whether we're supposed to be rushing to get rid of these. Um, and I think, you you know, if you bought some at three and you can sell them anywhere over 10, you just go ahead and do that and don't hold your breath. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. I certainly listed mine before they even arrived, so. <laughs> Play that game, huh? I have not done that before, generally. I know, I take that back. I think I listed the new perspectives I ordered from Channel Fireball immediately, but that was it, because they were shipping from Channel Fireball, so I trusted them. Yeah, I mean, my whole thing is I just don't, I, my my handling time is always three days. Gives you the kind of leeway you need to make that work. Sure, sure, sure. Um, all right, what's our last card, James? So Rampant Growth, the Magic Player Rewards full art version, moved from $4 to 40 in theory, which is a almost 1,000% gain. Um, hugely popular card in EDH, super low supply. Didn't I ask you to pick some of these up for me in Europe earlier this week? Um, you did, and I'm going to tell you that I did. I'm pretty sure I sent you a message that I did. Yeah, I, I, they're still available in Europe at a reasonable price is, is the bottom line. So if you have bothered to set up your European contact, like we told you you should, um, then you know ping them and get your own copies if you're still looking for some for EDH. Otherwise, I suspect that these will disappear more or less forever. And I don't know if they can hold 40, but anywhere between 10 and 30 seems like a reasonable landing spot because NPRs are not going to get reprinted in the same kind of, in the same manner. Um, if they ever went back to a program like that, it would not be the same card, same art, same format. So uh, all of these are relatively safe bets. Yep, I agree. And uh, it's, you know, those textless cards in general, I think, just ended up um, not being nearly as popular as Wizards wanted them to be. Uh, so I would be surprised if they ever really, you know, I, know, I never want to say never, but I would be really surprised if they returned to that. They seem to be reluctant to not have card text on cards. <laughs> so, yeah. And and I think a crypt, we can all agree Cryptic Command was the judge for... Uh, uh, NPR foil was the... Was NPR a judge? Can't remember. NPR. Yeah. The, the foil Cryptic Command without text is one of the most egregious gaming pieces of all time. That is pretty wild. It's like, which one is worse? Is it that or is it the FTV Dryad Arbor? <laughs> Which, right that if, if it would both be in the conversation if you're unfamiliar with the from the vault dried arbor i recommend you look it up uh it looks exactly like a normal like modern border forest that you would pull out of like a corset booster pack um like art isn't really dramatic like the only difference basically is like it's got the color indicator on the type line because it's a green card it's basically it's so easy to hide it that you can just put it down in your lands and uh the other your opponent is unlikely to ever notice you have a dryad arbor and then you just pull it forward when you need to have it like oh you just played a liliana and minus it well i have this dryad arbor here in play and it's tantamount to cheating um i have seen several professional players lament that they wish it was banned in paper um, yeah. just that version of the card because it is so easy to deceive with and imagine trying to cheat teach somebody how to play magic with the textless cryptic command. Well, this card has four <laughs> modes, but you have to memorize them. Yeah. 
and it always and they're and it's not even like a bad pro, or a bad command where it's like whatever it's like oh okay well i guess you gain four life and like draw a card no it's just like all ridiculous modes it's gonna be like wait you get to counter my spell and draw a card like you're, your opponent's gonna be so incredulous when you start telling them what that does they're like it doesn't say anything you're like you just have to trust me that's what it does yeah no no no, no. i can totally return that to your hand and counter that spell yeah that's right i can do both uh, that's the kind of thing that makes my partner angry i don't think i'm going to try it anytime soon <laughs> all right so let's move on to our cards to watch james why don't you kick us off here well in keeping with our meow type theme this week kemba Ka regent foils um were mostly cleaned out uh in at around three to four dollars but uh slightly played copies are still on tcg one of the hallmarks of uh sloppy buyouts is if they leave the sp copies behind at more or less the same price um, if a card's going to go from 4 to 20, then the SP is going to be worth 12 to 15. So um, no reason to leave those on the shelves. So I think that uh, if you believe at all in the Cat Tribal thing, uh, or you wanted one for your deck, um, go ahead and grab a Kemba. Uh, I think the deal with that is that any time an equipment comes into play, you get a 2-2. Is that correct? Am I remembering that? Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, put a 2-2 in the play for each equipment attached to Kemba. There we go. Uh, right, so sl- slap a skull clamp on on Kemba, and then you get a two two every turn. Put another, put a sword feast and famine on him. You get two two twos every turn. Um, seems like an auto include in the deck, probably included in the deck. Some people will want foils for the deck, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now Kemba, I have from the nose a female, uh, especially because the art is uh, pretty egregious in terms of cat tits. Got some cat boobs. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, pretty pretty grotesque. But uh, <laughs> this is part of the reason why... All the furries why are offended now. You just pissed <laughs> off all the furries. I uh, mean, they're like cantaloupes. It's... The, the, part I, the part that's offending, offensive to me is not that the cat has, like, you know, superhero tits. It's that the cat only has two. I mean, don't cats have six or eight tits or something? Uh, they do have more, they have more than two nipples. So maybe that's our abs. To- topics that were... If, not on the list of requested ones from this afternoon on Twitter. No, I got a bunch of tweets about this. What are you talking about? Cat um, the, cats and equipment is a sub theme, or such as equipment is a sub theme of cats, which is part of why I liked Raksha. Because I was like, oh, well, I know that this is not a standalone mechanic. Like cats in general have liked equipment in the past, which would mean Kemba's a good choice. Um, and there's another one too. Uh, I forget which one that does uh, some stuff. So again, yeah, you can see these reprinted, but I do like the foils especially because they won't be reprinted. Um, and I would not be surprised to see Wizards put a, a, some mild equipment into the precon as it is. Well, here's the thing. If, if the dragons are any indicator, and what we've seen in past commander sets is almost certainly to lead um, here in terms of how this plays out, um, each of the three commanders included in these box sets are going to be from different planes. The one that was uh, revealed, Roar of the Wild or whatever, does not seem like it's from Mirrodin um, because it's an actual cat, not a cat person, Um, which means one of the other three is probably could easily be a Mirrodin based cat with an equipment theme. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yep. For sure. I mean, there's there's not like there's. Yeah, I can see that. Definitely. them going that way with it. All right. What's next? Um, uh, What's first on your list? Yeah, so in the spirit of rampant growth, I uh, I opted for the Putrefy MPR. Um, this does have a textless edition as well, 
Um, copies are available around three to four dollars. Uh, there are not that many left out there. There's more supply than other cards that we've recommended in the past. Um, but it is, uh, according to EDA track, it's like top 20, I think, most played cards per its color pairing. Uh, so very, very popular, um, powerful card, useful. Again, it's an NPR. We saw Rampant Growths go. I think Putrefy is, is probably on the short list of other cards to follow in that vein. This is a slam dunk. There's hardly any left. I see 15, 20 copies under $5, and then it jumps right up to 10 yeah, yeah. Well, considering I sometimes get on here and recommend cards, which there's like two copies, I feel like that's a tremendous <laughs> amount. <laughs> well, you left a little meat on the bone if you pick some up, um, and uh, I'll be kind and, and not pick up my, any of myself so that our li- gentle listeners get a chance. Yeah, I don't I think I actually bought any. I realized this while I was driving home and then haven't touched it, so there you go. Yeah, that's a good one. How about you? What's your next one? So one of our uh, listeners uh, mentioned on Twitter that they thought Carnifex Demon um, from Shadows uh, or Scars of Mirrodin, um, that the foils were like a dollar on TCG. So I went over there to buy them all and realized that the reason that they're still sitting there is that most of them are, so, are actually less than a dollar. And when you add in the shipping, you're still under the $2 minimum for 2CG. <laughs> so you can scoop these all up uh, and get ahead of the crowd for Hapatra and or the Scorpion God. Uh, but first you got to figure out um, what other cards you want from the same seller so that you can hit the minimums. Yeah, I also encountered that because somebody else was talking about Carnifex Foil Demons a while ago. Man, maybe it was the same guy who just wanted to bring it up again. And I was like, oh, okay, like that's probably a reasonable card. I'm like, I can't find anybody with more than two copies, so it's really difficult to organize buying them up. Yeah, I had them all in my cart, then I decided I couldn't be bothered, and I would just leave that low-hanging fruit for somebody else to pick. Yeah, which makes sense. So there you go. If you need, uh, if you have a line on these, I guess, or a cheap place to get them, seems like a good choice. Well, they're they're the kind of thing that exactly the kind of thing you're going to find sitting around in your local shop, like uh, bulk binder. So have a look there, check out your collection, and if you scoop them up on TCG because you can find other things to mix and match them with. I figure they'll go from about two bucks to eight to ten, probably. Um, it's not like a super dramatic card, but. Um, putting a minus one minus one counter on every other creature in play has a whole bunch of related triggers in those in the two decks we're talking about. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good card for sure. Uh, you know, it was bad when it came out mostly, um, but being able to refill it with minus one minus one counters, I think, is the most important part, which is what like Hapatra and um, the other cards can do for you. Yeah. All right. Your next pick. All right. Yeah, my next card is, uh, I was actually really surprised to see how popular this one was. I did not realize it when I was browsing, but Merciless Eviction is extremely highly played in Commander. It's like one of the most popular black and white cards in the format. Uh, so having seen that, um, I went and checked it out. Foils are pretty avail- are semi-available around $8. There's not a million of these out there, um, but they are, they do exist, uh, Again, it's the type of card that you'll see reprinted in Commander time and time again. It was in Commander 2016, in fact, but not in foils. Uh, and given that this is a very powerful Wrath in the format, uh, I think and it's now getting getting up there in age. I don't think that's an unreasonable foil price at all. I like these up to about $15, I think, is, is where we could see it land. 
This one's all about the flexibility, right? It's a sorcery for four white black that lets you choose one of the following exile all artifacts, exile all creatures, exile all enchantments, or exile all planeswalkers. That kind of board sweeping flexibility is super powerful in Commander where you can kind of assess what's going on on the board and plan around it. Um, and the fact that it's exile, not destroy, means that all sorts of graveyard shenanigans do not take place, which is also uh, similarly beneficial when you're playing against three to f- four other opponents. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's I mean that's what makes it popular. I dialed, and you can hit whatever the most problematic permanent is in play at the time. Yeah, I mean this card is more popular than some of the most popular commanders. So, uh-huh. uh huh. And and how many foils are left on TCG of this thing? Oh, probably not many. <laughs> I would guess under ten. Let me take a look. So, I think there were seven or eight when I looked earlier today, and almost none left now. Oh, well, apparently somebody saw my show notes. <laughs> yeah, so again, scoop up the lightly plates because they're probably going to get left behind. Okay, well, there you go. If you can find them locally in trade binders, it's good to pick up at eight. You got one All more right. for us? So we went pretty deep on the commander specs this week, but I got a good modern one for everybody. Um, Street Wraith is the eighth most played card in modern, uh, a fixture in all versions of the Death Shadow deck. Which doesn't everybody is talking about it being kind of the the you know dominant deck in the format without being broken or needing to have anything banned. So I think they're going to leave it alone for a while uh, unless it gets super oppressive. Which means that the fact that Street Wraith hasn't been reprinted since Modern Masters 2013 uh, and the foils are in very low supply means that the twelve or thirteen bucks you're going to pay for foils now are almost certainly going to turn into twenty five to thirty dollar foils as more and more. Uh, competitive players get onto the deck um, looking for something that is going to be consistent and powerful and relatively flexible in the meta. Yeah, I didn't realize that foils were that cheap. Uh, I thought they were more than that. That's a good pickup at that price. My, you know, my biggest concern, of course, is that it could be banned. And to be fair, Street Wraith is a type of card I think Wizards would be happy to get rid of because it's not the type of card that's like particularly interesting or cool. It's not like Emrakul. I mean, it's like um Gitaxian probe like it's just it's almost like it doesn't exist in your hand so it's this really very useful but very low interest card um that said i don't think it's really in that position at this point i think um they could easily not they could easily leave Dust shadow alone for quite a while without any problem so uh you know if foil price is that cheap and given that i don't think it's too likely that we see this band i think that's uh that's pretty good i mean what we want to happen here is that death shadow keeps showing up in top eights but never become six to eight copies a deck multiple times in a row i mean sorry six to eight copies per top eight multiple tournaments in a row and Mm -hmm. in that scenario where the deck is always viable and kind of fits and slips into that affinity slot where it's always good but not necessarily the best deck of the weekend um then these have long long legs right because they're pretty unlikely to show up in uh um what's the master set in the fall iconic uh, iconic masters yeah not going to be an, it's not going to be an iconic masters and it's not going to be in the 25th anniversary masters in the spring either would be my guess um which leads me to believe that you don't see this card again until modern masters 2019 when if it's still legal in the format it becomes a slam dunk sure yep i think that that's all reasonable cool all so, right Met- metagame we can review yep let's talk about uh star city roanoke here the invitational um there's a modern and the standard um, I don't know. I think the most interesting thing was the first place standard deck was a 
Colossus Agro Affinity deck with uh, the four Metalwork Colossus, um, Cultivator's Caravan, Hedron Archive, some Sky Sovereign action, uh, just an artifact ramp deck basically with uh, Metalwork Colossus. Before you get too excited about Metalwork Colossus, by the way, keep in mind that uh, we know that that is going to be in the Magic. I don't even know what the heck it's called. Party pack or something like that. Some deck we're putting out. Um, yeah, the, the so Pokemon looking pack that's going to be yeah. in big box stores soon. Yeah, so don't spec on Metalwork Colossus is the point there. And how weird are the two cards they picked to like headline that set? Carrie Zev, Skyship Pirate or whatever, and Metalwork yep. Colossus? Yeah, I... Uh, Odd. Yeah, I had looking at it, I'm like, these two? Really? Like, I mean... Yeah, I don't, maybe they thought Kari Zeb was going to be better than she is, and like they thought she she kind of would have kind of jumped by now, or maybe they just wanted to give people a, pi- a pirate captain. Sure. So I mean, the invitation was actually a great tournament. Um, one of the the ones I enjoyed watching most. There was a lot of really good play. Um, there were a lot of interesting uh, uh, variations on known themes in the various decks. Um, and local champ Daniel Fournier um, of uh, my home shop, Face to Face Games, um, came in second, uh, put, put Canada on the map at the Invitational. Um, he was playing Mardu Ballista and uh, Grixis Death Shadow, and ultimately lost to uh, the same pilot uh, uh, that finished first uh, with Colossus Agro Affinity. And the standard portion was Brian Koal, who uh, also. Uh, was playing hate bears mono white hate bears in the modern portion and i read his tournament report today and it was really funny because the invitational they had kind of four talking heads right um uh, all talking about the decks leading into uh the sunday morning top eight and uh all four of them essentially agreed that the hate bears deck was garbage and modern and and nobody should be playing it and it wasn't going to stand much of a chance and it was disadvantaged and so forth and so on and then he just blew through the competition and took the trophy um, and in his tournament report, he basically said that on the Metalwork Colossus side, he was just expecting people to go really light in their sideboards with the anti-artifact hate, given the way the meta was shaking out post-Marvel. Um, and that it was really hard to interact with what Metalwork Colossus was up to if you didn't have those cards. Um, and it played out perfectly for him and, you know, kudos. Um on the modern side, he was saying that, you know, people just underestimate this deck, that it, it looks like a pile on, on in paper. And he would have made a couple of changes. Like he said that he'd probably pull the Weathered Wayfarer, maybe for an extra Mirren Crusader, and that he might want an extra Sarah Avenger and so forth. But he said that just the core game plan of being able to mess with your opponent from multiple angles to potentially use Leonine, Leonin Arbiter and Ghost Quarter to like take them off key mana, to be able to overwhelm them with card advantage by using combinations of Restoration Angel, Flicker Wisp with Blade Splicer um, to get a bunch of golems on the table to, you know, make key spells more uh, expensive with Thalia. And then he had like this killer Thraben Inspector at one point that basically won him the game and put Thraben Inspector on the map for modern <laughs> Which is yeah, incredible. I did not catch that. Like, what? Because I, I saw a tweet that that was a really good Thraven inspector, but I didn't see what happened. Can you fill me in? Well, it was basically just like like crack, cracking the clue got him to the card he needed to win the game. Um, ah, I and, see. And and one of the things he was saying about what makes Thraven inspector really good is that how tightly it fits in your curve wherever it shows up. Because on one, it's a one. On two, uh, it can be the clue, and on three, it can be the one drop and the clue. And and just that flexibility in terms of being able to maximize the efficiency of your mana usage and like, you know, 
act as kind of a def- a worse street wraith in some senses in terms of shrinking the size of your deck and helping you find the specifics you're looking for um, really went a long way in a deck that has 11 four ofs. You know, it's, it's four Blade Spicer, four, four Flicker Wisp, four Lean and Arbiter, four Ether Vial, four Path to Exile, four Threeman Inspector, four Thalia, four Restoration Angel, um, and, you know, four Ghost Coder, four Horizon Canopy. And because of all of that, uh, it, it has a lot, high degree of consistency. Um, and it was facing off against three color Grixis decks that don't always have exactly the mana they're looking for. And if you're part of your game plan is to mess with their mana, um, it gave them that much more of an advantage. So, I mean, I think everybody has to start like considering giving this deck a little more respect, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I mean, I have to be honest. I'm one of the people that thinks the deck is garbage and you shouldn't play it. And I wrote as much this week. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I guess my biggest concern is the deck has been around for a while. So like, what's different? You know, what has made the deck more playable before than it is now? I think it's must mostly be a metagame thing. Yeah, um, definitely. Like, it's good against that shadow, which wasn't there before, which is why it's fine now. So it's not to, it's not to, not to crap from the deck too much. Uh, it has its, it has its role. I guess I just don't love it as like, a, you know, when that shadow first came out, it was like, oh, damn, is this thing like actually for real? And then we kind of noticed it was because it was brand new. But in this case, we're, it's not it's something we didn't already know about. Um, it is amusing. I realized uh, tinkering with the dubious challenge deck, you can do some funny stuff with Flicker Wisp uh, and blinking people's lands and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I don't know. Other than that, over in Modern, I didn't see anything that really jumped out at me. A couple of Death Shadows, uh, you know, like we talked about, Eldrazi Tron, which we talked about. You know, we know that that's on our radar. I mean, Reality Shaper, um, or I'm sorry, Reality Smasher and Thought Not Seer already spiked uh, before. We talked about um, Matter Reshaper in the past, I think last week or something like that. A little bit of Lantern Control. Um, so some interesting decks, but nothing, I think, too out of the, off the radar here. No, this is all. This is the established meta as it has been come to un- be understood. It's also worth pointing out that in a mixed format tournament, you have to take all results with a grain of salt because sometimes the 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 guy that wins the tournament, the deck he's playing in format A is not actually what won in the tournament. It might have been his perfect record in format B that really got him into the top eight. Um, but yeah, it comes up all the time in the pro tour. Yeah, but I mean, if I was talking about you know what would I be looking at in the hate bears deck in terms of things to keep an eye on, uh, Leon and Arbiter. Uh, Ether Vile Masterpiece has just spiked, um, and this is uh, another deck that demands their usage. Um, so maybe start looking at, uh, you know, when the Masterpieces were about the same price as the regular copies of some of these cards, like Chalice and Engineered Explosives and Ether Vile, uh, I was less excited about the the non-Masterpiece versions because it was like, why would you target those if the Masterpieces are you know within the same price range? But once the Masterpieces have spiked, you have to start taking a hard look at the prices of some of these other cards. For instance, Horizon Canopy um, Regular Edition is essentially the same price almost within 5 or $10 um, of the Expedition copy at this point um, because this card has just not been reprinted for so long. Yeah, Horizon Canopy is uh, is pretty sick. And I would imagine Wizards is going to reprint it in one of these two sets just because it has been so long. Um, and it's it's not new that it's been that long either. Like we knew that it was not that it's not cheap. So um, it's a really know, weird card. It. It's a really weird card to just stuff on into a set. Um, but if they printed it in Rare and Ixalan or something, the price crashes super hard. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that card is probably okay for standard like i'm not positive uh but it doesn't seem that outrageous to imagine playing it so the thing about horizon canopy is that 
if you're holding copies that you need to play with and you don't want to sell them and then wait around because you got to play tournaments in the interim, what I would do is I would trade it into an expedition copy, which is more likely to hold its value if the regular copy uh, shows up and pay the pay the difference of five, 10, 15, 20 bucks or whatever. Um, because then if it shows up in a, in a fall standard set or something, um, you're a little more insulated. Okay. I don't think that's bad. Um, I, I completely agree that that does insulate you from that a little bit. I think, I think your most insulated copy is probably the future site foils because that is such a unique border and it's the original foil. Um, so I think those do the best long-term, no matter what they do for reprinting it. Uh, although the problem there is those are like $175. So chances are you're not really eager to run out and pick up a play set of those. So I do think those would be the most insulated against reprints, but at the same time, that buying is pretty steep. Uh, yeah. And also the price for being wrong would hurt. <laughs> I mean, we can get an expedition copy for 100 bucks, right? And non-foils are 90 So to me, you just go ahead and up upgrade into the expedition if you have to play with it because you only need one or two copies for most decks right although the the, the mono white hate bears deck is running what four uh yeah probably. Four. yeah they run four so i mean if that deck catch, catches on then this card is you know set up could set up shop over 120 the um uh the good news is that nobody ever mono white never catches on <laughs> it doesn't matter how good it is people never people do not flock to these kind of decks in modern um so well yeah the cool card at least i like those old borders um is there anything else from the invitational that caught your eye i think that's everything yeah same not too much to talk about so this week uh we wanted to discuss masterpieces a little bit there's been a lot of chatter about them online um there's been a lot of movement and some various questions so we, we thought we'd kind of revisit the topic um now that we're a couple months in we were having a bit of an interesting conversation after or, or, or before the cast. Uh, you know, for, for the people who haven't been, who haven't really been paying that much attention, masterpieces are selling out like crazy. Um, off the top of my head, within the last like couple weeks, you've seen Lightning Greaves, Chromatic Lantern, Lotus Petal, Aether Vial. Um, I guess Chalice of the Void and Engineered Explosives were like two or three weeks ago. Um, Mox Opal, I think. Uh, Steel I think Overseer. there's another one too, right? Steel Overseer. So like, it's going now. Like we've seen. Like, you know, a third, a quarter of the masterpieces get bought out in the last two weeks. So that's going pretty nuts. So one of the questions that we've seen is, is this real? You know, is it, are these actually people buying the card? Um, or is it all just speculators? And if it is speculators, like, is there real demand? Are these things actually going to sell? Um, and I think James and I are pretty much on the same page on this one, is that I think a lot of this action is coming from speculators. Um, if it's, you know, it's not necessarily people, it's not necessarily James and I, but it's people like us uh, who see an opportunity here. But I think that it's all very real demand. Um, and I've talked to some other people who, uh, who are vendors who, you know, do a little bit of speculating, but generally just run a store. And their, their perspective is like, this is it. Like there aren't more of these coming. Supply is really low. There weren't that many opened. And it's, you know, it, reprints don't matter because you're not going to reprint this exact copy of the card. You can already get other versions of this card if you need them. So all the demand from people, basically additional reprints of like Aether Vial won't satisfy the demand for Invention's Aether Vial. That is with the supply that exists that exists. And he's like, we never get them. 
in at the booth. Like they come in very rarely. So I think the demand is definitely out there. It's very real. These price changes are ca um, kind of sort of catalyzed, uh, right? Does that work? I'm going to go with it. Catalyzed by um, some of this speculator activity, but um, I don't think they're, we're generating demand that doesn't exist. And I know that I have sold several copies of various inventions at newer price points uh, below what I paid. And I'm pretty sure James has sold a good bit more than me. Um, so there are people out there willing to pay these prices. And uh, I, I believe it. I mean, I think Soul Ring is a $200 card. Absolutely it is. And here, here's some of the background and context that fills in the blanks and helps to uh, illuminate what has actually happened. When I first got on this gravy train back in December around the holiday season and started noticing a bunch of masterpieces selling even below TCG pricing um, on eBay, um, they were already on my radar and other people had talked about them as potential long-term specs, but there was a ton of hesitancy from vendors specifically because they had been burned so badly on expeditions. Um, if you hadn't tracked the price of the Expedition Masterpieces out of uh, the Battle for Zendikar block, um, then here's a recap. Because they were fetch foil fetch lands in a special border that were premium distributed, everybody assumed they were going to be sky's the limit and would end up being $500 to $1,000 cards, at least the blue fetches would. And instead what happened is even a card like Horizon Canopy, which is now the most expensive card in modern, um, the Expedition is only 100 bucks. So half the price of a Masterpiece Soul Ring, even though it's been out for more than twice as long. Now, why did that happen? Well, part of it is that people don't really love the Expedition border all that much. So there's that. There's also the fact that those cards um, compete directly with their original pack foils, which are still considered to be the most bling, um, and even the new pack foils. So because the Onslaught uh, pack foils look pretty good and came out in Cons of Trakir block, there's a bunch of those still sitting in the market. The Expedition versions came out the very next year, so in direct competition with one another. And then in Modern Masters 2017, we got the original Zendikar um, uh, Fetchlands in foil and with the upgraded border and hologram, security hologram. So all across the board, the, what would have been the rarest um, Expeditions ha are, you know, there's three or four different versions of them out there between those and Judge Foils. And they compete with each other. And the other problem is that when you buy a Masterpiece Soul Ring at, say, $100, you're only committing $100. Um, and the part of the demographic that has the money to make that purchase kind of on a whim one you know Sunday night while they're drinking a beer watching Netflix on eBay is has a lot more trouble committing to four to $600 for, say, a set of Expedition Skelding Turn. Um, so... There's a price point thing that went on, right? Like, people got burned on expeditions. When we came around to Masterpieces, some of them started relatively high, like Mana Vault and Soul Ring and Mana Crypt. All of these started in the, like, you know, 90, 100, 110 range and kind of sat there for a few months. But when I started looking at them all really hard in mid-December, I noticed something right away um, that convinced me to start putting money into these cards. And, and this was what it was. The inventory levels of the most popular, most likely candidates amongst the Kaladesh masterpieces were already below the inventory levels of the most popular um, expeditions from Battle for Zendikar over a year earlier. Like, if you see that situation, you got to go in, right? I mean, yeah, it's 
that has definitely told the story in a way that any amount of us, you know, kind of chatting and theorizing about what's going on, certainly um, it doesn't. It's like, look, look at how many exist. Like there are 80 scalding tarn expeditions, right? Like they just, they're out there, uh, but there's 20 lightning greaves. Like, you know, the card, it's been out long enough that there should be copies on the market, but it's just not. Um, and I think you're exactly right too, is that, for most of these, some of the cards that we're seeing buyouts are on stuff like Aether Vial and Max Opal, which are playset cards. But for the most part, it's been EDH cards. Uh, and this is a point that, you know, we've kind of come back to a couple of times is like, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to go, man, do I want to get in for $800 on a set of Max Opals? Right? Okay. Well, but do you want to get in for $80 on the coolest, sol sol coolest Solemn Simulacrum or the coolest Chromatic Lantern? Yeah, that's pretty easy to do, right? Like you can trade away a couple of standard cards, a playset of like the most of a, of a popular standard myth that can get there, um, you know, at your local store. So they're just, they feel much more accessible for people, uh, which is really doing the work kind well, of for us for, for that demand. Yeah. And I mean, when you compare price points to demographics, that's also why uh, it wasn't the modern four ofs that went first. A lot of the most recent spikes have been hype spikes that are, that are draining supply, you know, that drained down 40 or 50 remaining copies instead of five to 10. When Soul Ring finally went off on TCG, it was because there was almost none left just naturally. You know, yes, speculators had been buying along the way, but, you know, when I was making noise about buying Soul Ring as the primary target in January and February and all the way in through to April um, as we were buying together in Europe, we, again, we weren't buying in, on TCG, we were buying in Europe. <laughs> so yeah. we were drawing down from completely different inventory. So obviously the drain that was going, that was incenting us to be buying in Europe at an even cheaper price. I mean, the original set of Masterpiece Silver Rings I got in Europe were at $74 um, and bought again in the early 90s. And then again, it committed to some more at 110 that'll be showing up soon. Um, and... All of that was because I saw the supply on the North American side, which I wasn't participating in, continuing to drain. And it was, you know, onesie, twosie here and there that suggested that people were buying them for themselves. It wasn't like when I was looking at, you know, eBay bin sold listings, I was seeing 20 copies sell overnight. I was just seeing one or two copies sell every other day. Um, and what that said was that the market would bear a higher price on these cards. Um, and I think like what it's taking some of the vendors and MTG finance crowd a long time to come around to is that, uh, that EDH players actually will buy expensive foils, which, which is something that everybody knew kind of anecdotally. Some people did, but I don't think, I think that people have been underestimating how many people do it. Um, and how much more, uh, confident people feel about investing in their EDH decks, given how infrequently think bannings take place in that format, and how many years you can play the same deck. Yeah, I mean that, that's a that's the way to put it. I also, you know, you also have to wonder if um, if the standard activity has sort of inspired people to be a little more aggressive with their EDH purchases because it's like, well, whatever. At least you know, even if a card gets banned in EDH, it's not like I lose my entire deck. I just have to swap it out. It's not that big of a deal. Um, well, you know, nobody was. Hmm? Well, the other thing is that, like in modern, if you if you buy a card like Artbound Ravenger, you're betting that Affinity will be a deck. It, it's played in no other deck. But if you buy a Masterpiece Soul Ring, it's going to be in every EDH deck forever. I mean, people have said it's too powerful for EDH, and maybe that a slightest chance that that gets banned at some point. But the majority of these cards that spiked that are EDH staples are safe, and and will continue to be safe for for years and years. And and 
that's a very different going to create a very different psychology around that purchase where you can amortize it over you know 200 games of edh instead of 20 games of modern yeah yeah for sure for sure um so you know i think the takeaways here are that we've seen demand be real it's there it's being bought by copies are being bought by people um it's not all speculator speculator activity. The supply is way lower than people think it is. Um, it's easier to make those choices for purchase. People plan on holding these cards for a long time where they might not, you know, with some other stuff. Um, and the cards are selling. So I, I really, I don't know how else to stress that these are, I think that this is, these are, both of us feel that these are very real movements, very real prices. Um, this is not just people making it up. And I think, I kind of wonder if in like two years we're going to look back at it and be like, in the same way that we look back at the legacy boom and be like, man, in the modern boom, like remember when all those prices were going nuts? I'd be like, man, remember when inventions were going nuts and you could buy any random invention and double your money in three weeks? Like, oh, I miss those days. <laughs> well, and there's a couple other angles here, right? Like one for one thing, if if the supply being drained as early as November, December had been speculator activity draining seventy to hundred dollar copies of, say, for instance, masterpiece silvering out of the market. And now it's a 200. What you would see is that all of those speculators would be coming out of the woodwork to sell them. And instead, crickets. There are hardly any copies entering the market, even from people that that bought them, you know, at half that price. And that's because they want to play with that card. Like it, it, when a card, if there's hundreds of copies in speculator hands, then they're going to come out to play. Like, I don't think any of us believes that Masterpiece Silvering is going to get from 200 to 300 next week. I think most of us can agree that the plateau of 200 is kind of like a hard psychological barrier. And it's going to be, you know, maybe it's going to inch up to 225, 250 over the next couple of years. But I'm not expecting it to, you know, triple to 600. No, no, me neither. I think I agree with you that 200 is a a pretty comfortable stopping point um, for a lot of cards, a lot of people. And it's, yeah, you're right, probably a psychological thing. There are occasionally cards that can sneak past that. Like Elish Norn, but other than that, <laughs> uh, you don't see too much get past it. I mean, the reality is like you're holding, I'm holding, we're both selling, right? Yeah. Yep. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, I, and, and I suspect that anybody else that got in early is doing the same thing, but those copies are getting bought. I mean, I've sold 30 or 40 of these spiked masterpieces already. One, one Z, two Z, two, and, and judge foils and stuff that I've been buying in Europe and it all sells and it doesn't sell yeah. like six copies a day, but it's one or two or three copies a week kind of thing. And it's been steady and consistent since December. And I, and mm-hmm. I, when I was selling masterpiece soul rings at 140, they sold at the same pace that they sold at 160 at the same pace that they sold at 180 and at the same pace that they're selling at 200. Um, people have adjusted along the way and accepted those price points. Now, can you make additional money? No, because as we just said, you know, there are upper price points that beyond which things get, you know, are going to slow down dramatically. Um, but there are plenty of other masterpieces that have not hit that point yet. Now, the other angle that we didn't touch on yet is that because they've announced that masterpieces are not coming out in every set, I mean, that's a huge boon to this whole situation, right? I think that the the, mark, the speculators would be much more reluctant to be going deep on some of these cards if they thought they were going to get um, really cool masterpieces for the next six to eight sets. Yeah, um, I agree as well. The knowing that they're just not that there are so many fewer all of a sudden it makes that much easier stomach down because before we heard that it was like, okay, well, you know, I guess 
I'm not going to buy whatever. Maybe I'm not going to buy Solomon Simulacrum because he's an invention, but we also might see him, you know, maybe in some other like creature based masterpiece set. So you were going to get more of that, you know, other versions of Solomon Simulacrum type of thing because there weren't that many cards that they could actually print. Uh, but now we know that that's not coming to bear and it's like oh well okay i guess if i want a cool solemn like this is it like i have no idea when i'm going to see another one well and the other thing is that because like we know for a fact the ixalan block doesn't have any um and i suspect that the the um 25th anniversary set in the spring will for instance um and that they'll probably be you know classic dominaria related cards um lightning bolt and so forth um, so you think the block the block that starts in the spring is going to have them no, I think the I, I think it's possible that the 25th anniversary Masters set has. Them. Oh, okay, okay. Um, the which would be a nice touch, right? The and if it yeah. doesn't, then the spring block might have them. Uh, you know, I think it'll be kind of like a once a year thing that they'll do, and it could be that they they're going to reserve it for the spring block because they figure that those are the sales that need the most help. Possibly, possibly. Everybody, everybody has to remember that the whole point of masterpieces was to make cheaper standard cheaper while still selling the same amount of product. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we'll see, we'll see how that all plays out, but, you know, the reality is that come the fall, there's not going to be a sexier EDH target than a Masterpiece Soul Ring because, you know, we know what the Judd promos are for the year. None of them are in that class, and there certainly isn't going to be in anything in XLN that, ha- that has a premium foil that's not just a set foil that's available for 10 bucks. Yeah. It's going to be a bummer for all the really cool cards in uh, Ixalan that now you can't get in Masterpieces. You know, there's no Gear Hulk cycle. Yeah. Not that many of those are in very high demand. I mean, if I had to pick any of the inventions to not be targeting, it would be the Gear Hulks. Um, I think Torrential is probably fine, but yeah, I agree with you. Um, yeah, you know, players really look, I just, it was had a thought on based on what you said earlier about players and foiling their EDH decks, but we already had one guy message us earlier today who commented about how he, um, how he's like, I have dozens of high-end EDH decks with thousands of dollars tied up in them. Now, in his particular case, he was saying that he doesn't really care for the masterpieces, but the point is that he's telling us he has tons of decks, EDH decks full of valuable foils, and I don't think that's an unusual story at all. You know, all of these, um, sort of secondary market containers for holding tons of EDH types of thing. Like there's a lot of those people out there that, that have a lot of decks and put a lot of money into it, you know, cubes um, people put a ton of money into. So there are players out there willing to sink the money into having cool versions of these cards. The demand is certainly there. Uh, there are a much smaller number than people who just want to buy the pre-cons and have decks and play with them and don't care. Uh, but that's okay because there are like, probably 30 or 40,000 copies of Solemn Simulacrum non-special cards, but there's only like a couple hundred, a couple thousand total uh, inventions. So you don't need that many players to be into that type of thing to really drain them to the market. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is that EDH is like Legacy. If instead of Legacy having a couple of hundred viable cards, all at the highest power level, it had like 10,000 viable cards. Mm-hmm. And, and in that situation where you're going to have, you're going to put out new product and market to that, that marketplace a couple times a year um, with a primary product and then with all sorts of throw-ins in other products, um, you're keeping that hype machine amped, right? Like these people are engaged in the commander scene 
24 7 365 days a year they don't really have they don't have major tournaments to look forward to so the whole scene is local um and and but they can still play side tournaments at major events and you know it's it's a growing it's a big growing segment of the mtg finance action and the magic community as a whole and ignoring it is just silly yeah yep completely agree all so, right so, well let's wrap oh, sorry go ahead i'll have one more one more point about this if masterpieces for instance had been included one per case like specifically like masterpiece soul ring had been included one per case and you just didn't know what box it was in this whole situation would be very different because dealers would just go to the well and there are tons of kaladesh boxes lying around still and they would just start cracking boxes and opening these things and yanking them out and and it would impact uh the value of these cards but because there's like 15 20 25 of these in in both kaladesh and nether revolt um you can't ju- you can't reliably pull a soul ring. You might pull a sculpting steel, which is worth ten times less c- currently. And uh, a lot of these cards are going to go up, and the EV contribution to the set will go up. And I think it makes Kaladesh and Ether Revolt boxes actually fairly interesting for the long term, um, because I think they're going to be in a unique position versus almost every other box in the in the last five years, Ether Revolt especially. Um, but Dealers are just not going to start cracking cases, pulling these things out. It just doesn't make any sense. And and that's going to help insulate the price tiers that have been set up for most of these spikes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard to crack one of these. And like the payoff is good, but it's not like amazing, right? Like it's still only a $200 card. And, and that's if you get the soul ring. And how many of these do you have to open before you find that soul ring? The math doesn't support it. Um, you know, it's just easier for the card to cost that much money or it makes more more sense for everyone involved. But the reason I like the boxes long term is because they're going to turn into lottery tickets. Um, and boy, Magic players do love lottery tickets. Well, people are just going to start ignore, are going to ignore the math down the road. They're just going to be like, oh, at MP, four years from now, MP Silverings at three hundred. It'd be so sweet to pull that. It's going to be a, It has to have some upward pressure on box prices in the same way that going fishing for like foil Liliana in an Innistrad box would have. Yeah, Jace what was it Jace race? Is that what it was called? Yeah. Back in the day, they would um, do triple world weight drafts trying to look for Jace's when he was still like 100 and change. Right. I remember that. So that's our take on Masterpieces. I think uh, we'll talk about invocations at a later date in terms of what people should be targeting. Oh, do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's a wrap for this week, folks. Where can people find you online, Travis? All right. I am Travis Allen. I am on Twitter at WizardBumpinBUMPIN. I write every Monday for MTGPrice.com. And if I'm on Cartel Aristocrats, the webcast on Mondays. And if you like playing magic, check out Scry.land. Find magic in your area. Also, like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Um, I should mention that that was broken for the last week. You couldn't sign up at all. Um, but by this weekend, it should be fixed, according to the latest meeting I had on that this afternoon. <laughs> Okay. Um, you didn't tell our listeners where they could find you, though. You guys can find me online at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTG Price. All right. Well, I had a lot of fun again this week. Uh, thanks for joining me, James, and I will see you, hopefully, in better health next Thursday. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. <laughs>